Welcome to the preaching and teaching ministry of Mary and Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. Hopefully by now you have found Luke chapter 5. If you're part of our church family and you bring your Bible every week, it may just fall open there because we've been working our way through Luke. We're in the beginning, not really middle yet because it's a long book, but the beginning of a sermon series we're calling the story of Jesus. And it's basically a study of the gospel of Luke. We started last fall. It's going to take us a while to work our way through. But I don't know about you, but I've been enjoying looking at the stories of Jesus' life. Because you know what? It's all about Jesus. Wow, that was sad. Let's try that again. It's all about Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. That Boy, anyway, it is all about Jesus. We need to point people to Jesus. Because he has the answers. He's the solution. He's the Savior. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. That's not even my sermon, so I better get back to my sermon. So we're working our way through Luke, and it's going to take us a little while, but from time to time, we'll take a break and do some other things. The story of Jesus and the gospel of Luke. I want to start off by asking you a couple of questions to get you thinking along the lines of what I believe God wants to deal with our hearts about. So I want to ask you, how many of you are really glad, if you are, that you're a Christian? Amen. That's one of those questions you're almost afraid not to put your hand up, because people might say, are they not a Christian? And, and I've, I'm fully aware, we may have people that are here today or you're watching online and you're not a Christian. And we're so glad that you're watching online or that you are here. For whatever reason you may have, since you're not a believer, a follower of Jesus or whatever, maybe you're curious, maybe somebody's making you, I don't know. But we're glad you're here because God loves you and he wants a relationship with you. And that relationship comes through Jesus Christ and what he did for us. And I'll explain that a little bit more later on. But Most of us probably in this room and most of us perhaps watching online or watching this recording later are Christians. We are disciples. We are followers of Jesus. And I said, are you glad that you are? But the follow-up question is why? Why are you glad that you're a Christian? At its most basic level, being kind of negative, it's like, so I don't have to go to hell. So I don't have to be sternly separated from God and all that is good. But I think most of us would say that's, that's not the basic reason. We're glad for that. Very glad for that. But the basic reason is because the life we have in Jesus. You know, there's no promises in God's word and we certainly don't experience it that once we become a follower of Jesus that everything becomes perfect. It's all flowers and roses and, you know, all, everything's just wonderful. There's no more problems because Christians and believers face just as many difficulties as people that aren't. But we have a hope. We know the one that has an answer. We can come to him with our needs and our problems and he works in and through those things. Sometimes he takes care of them like that. Sometimes he takes care of them over a period of time. Some things we're dealing with he may not take care of in this life, but we have eternity and we have the assurance that no matter what we face, God is with us, whether we sense his presence or not. He will never leave us or forsake us. He's going to walk through it with us and he will bring good out of whatever we face as long as we cooperate with him. So we have that hope for this life. And to be honest with you, 
I love being a Christian. I love the life I have. To be honest with you, we are so blessed in so many places in our world today and throughout history. To be a Christian meant a life of hardship, difficulty, persecution, concern that you might be jailed, concern that you might lose your job, concern that you might be ostracized, concern that you might even be tortured or put to death for your faith. We are so blessed, people. And I thank the Lord for the blessings. I don't know why... God gave me, us, the privilege to live today in this culture and have the freedom we do. But I'm also thankful for eternity, to know that I am right with God, not because I'm good, not because I've earned it, not because I deserve it, but because of what Jesus did for me. And that I will spend eternity with God. And there will be no more sin, sorrow, sickness, pain, death. Thank the Lord. There's so much to be said. We could do a whole sermon series on the blessings and benefits of knowing Jesus Christ and being a follower of Jesus. But did you know you wouldn't experience a single one of them if somebody hadn't introduced you to Jesus? And it's not the main point of my sermon today, but there are billions of people around the world who haven't met Jesus yet. And for many of them, it's not just because somebody introduced them, told them, and they decided to reject it. It's because they haven't even heard yet. That's why missions is and should be such a passion of our hearts. And it is of our church. But it's also why we should have a passion to bring people to Jesus. And that's the title of my message today from Luke chapter 5 is bringing people to Jesus. Who brought you to Jesus? Who introduced you? Let's take a little poll. There may have been a number of factors. There may have been several people talk to you about Jesus before you finally accepted him. That's kind of the normal thing. But as far as the primary person in your life who introduced you to Jesus, for some of you, for those of you, how many of you, it was a family member? For me, it was my mom, you know, a grandparent, a parent, sibling, a family member. For how many of you, it was a friend? A number of you. How many of you, and this may overlap, a coworker? For how many, somebody at school? You were in school somewhere, somehow, sometime, okay? For how many, it was a total stranger. God just orchestrated the meeting. They shared the gospel. You got one here? For how many, it was maybe you went to a special service and there was an evangelist like Billy. Let me ask you this. How many of you, whether it was the main thing or not, how many of you were tremendously influenced by Billy Graham to give your life to Christ? A number of hands. You know, when we think of Billy Graham, he had such a tremendous impact on millions of people coming to know Christ. But did you know how Billy Graham came to know Christ? Do you know who introduced Billy Graham to Christ? I've shared this story before, so for some of you, it's like, I've heard him say that before. Maybe you've heard it somewhere else. Billy Graham came to know Christ because of the influence of another evangelist called Billy Sunday. But how did Bill and Sunday come to know Christ? Well, he was mentored and helped by a guy by the name of J. Wilbert Chapman, who was also a great preacher. And he had been introduced to Jesus by a guy by the name of F.B. Meyer, who actually was a pastor and was about ready to give up on his faith. He had become cold and indifferent, but he was challenged by a man by the name of D.L. Moody. Have you heard of D.L. Moody? But how did D.L. Moody come to know Jesus? Because when he was a boy, his Sunday school teacher, a man by the name of Ezra Kimball, invited him to Sunday school and taught him about Jesus. 
that Ezra Kimball has become somewhat famous because of this story. But he wasn't at that time. He was just a simple layman who reached out to children. And he touched D.L. Moody, who then touched somebody else and somebody else and somebody else. Can, Can I tell you that God uses evangelists He calls them, He gifts them to have a tremendous influence to reach people and bring people to Jesus. But it's not just evangelists that He wants to use. He wants to use all of us who know Jesus. He wants to use all of you that are watching online to touch people and to bring people to Jesus. And we're going to see that in this story we're reading today in Luke chapter 5. Verses 17 to 26. We're going to work our way through. I'll explain some things on my way through. But again, this is where we pick up from last week. Jesus is just kind of in the middle of ministry. He's called some of his disciples to follow him. They are. We're going to see next week he's calling another one. So the whole group is not together yet. It happened over a period of time. But he's in the midst of the beginning of his ministry. And it says in verse 17, on one of those days, as he was teaching... We mentioned this in connection with this story from Luke. We often think of Jesus the healer. Jesus the one who casts demons out. Jesus the one who raises the dead. Jesus the one who proclaims the kingdom. But the word that is used most about his ministry is teaching. Explaining God's word and how it impacts their life in the coming kingdom of God. So he, he's teaching. We're going to see in a little bit he's in a house. And it says, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. Pharisees and teachers of the law. Some translations call them lawyers. Some teachers call them scribes. They're sitting in this house. They've come from all over the country. Jesus, Mark tells us in his version of the story, is in Capernaum, an area where he's done a lot of ministry already. It's where a lot of his disciples are from. It's where Peter's from. It's the story we shared about a month ago when he spoke in the synagogue and later that night hundreds come to him after sunset to be prayed for and ministered to and he heals them and does all kinds of phenomenal. Same city. He's in a house. He's teaching. And the word has gotten out. The news has gotten out. Rumors, all these things. This phenomenal man who teaches and preaches with authority. But not only that, he does the miraculous. And so we have these Pharisees and these teachers of the law, these scribes that have come from Jerusalem, which is 60, 70 miles south. Remember, they got to walk or ride a donkey or something from way up north, from all over the country. They have gathered together. Now, we think of uh, the Sadducees aren't mentioned, but we think of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes or teachers. We think of them as the bad guys, don't we? Because they're the religious leaders and they're the ones that are eventually going to arrange to have Jesus crucified. But let me ask you a couple of questions. How many of you love God? Lots of responses. How many of you love God's word? You know, we've got God's word. How many of you believe that God's word has power and authority because it comes from God? How many of you believe that God can and does the supernatural? How many of you believe that one day we will have a relationship with God through all eternity? How many of you believe that in relationship to God's word, we really need to try to live by it? It should, it should have be the standard for what we believe and, and for what we, how we live. Lots of amens. You would make a great Pharisee. Because that's what the Pharisees believed. 
You see, about 200 years before Jesus came on the scene, the Pharisees were a lay movement. They weren't even the religious leaders or anything. They just rose up and saying, you know what? Our people, our nation are drifting too much into the world. We're becoming too much in sinful ways like the Greeks and like the Romans, the two major cultures of their day. We've got to cling to God in our relationship with him. We've got to cling to his word. We've got to honor his word. We've got to preach it. We've got to teach it. We've got to live it. They started out so fervent, so excited, so passionate about God and his word. But over time, over time, they became legalistic. They said, we want to be so concerned not to break one of God's laws. Let's add a whole bunch to them. You know, the Bible said in the Ten Commandments, don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. They said, well, if we don't need to do that, then let's, you know what, let's not even speak it out loud. In fact, when we're writing it down, let's not even write the whole name out. Let's shorten it because we do not want to take the name of the Lord our God. And they added so many rules and regulations, especially about the Sabbath, another very important commandment, and so many other things. It became so binding. And they couldn't even keep the laws that they had created, and so they became hypocrites, which is what Jesus often calls them, hypocrites. Can I tell you, as we look at our own lives, we need to be very careful because it'd be so easy for us to become just like the Pharisees who were one of the major opponents of Jesus. And the scribes, the scribe is somebody who writes anything, and that's, they started out good too. They basically just had a position of keeping track of records, writing things down, copying documents, and in the Jewish society, they were the ones that copied scripture, and in the process of doing that, they got to know it really well, so they became the Bible scholars. They knew God's word better than anybody else. If that's a desire of yours, you'd make a great scribe. But they, with the Pharisees, became very legalistic. And so you see what the problem is. And so they're here because they've heard about this man. And they want to check him out. Is he from God or is he a troublemaker? Is God doing something new? Or are we headed for trouble? So they're in the house. Get back to our story. They're from all over the nation. At the end of verse 17, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Now, that's not saying that sometimes the power of the Lord was with him and sometimes it wasn't. It's just an explanation that when Jesus did what he did, it's because it was from God. It wasn't because he had been authorized by the temple in Jerusalem or by the chief priest or by the Pharisees, Sadducees, Pharisees, or anybody else. What he had, the power he had, and he had lots of it, was from God. So he's teaching and the power is there. In verse 18, and behold... Some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in, because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. For us, that sounds so strange. Keep in mind, in their culture and their day and age, the roof was another living place. The roofs were mostly flat, tilted a little bit so the rain would run off. But the houses had no air conditioning. They didn't have very many windows. It would get hot. It would get stuffy. So they would build like a patio or something like that up on the roof. Sometimes they'd put up a little awning so that in, at the end of the day when it's hot before the, the, the house cools down, they could go up on the roof. They could have their evening meal. They could relax before they went inside to go to sleep. It was another living area. Another place maybe to do some work, whatever. And so often there was um, at least a ladder, if not steps, going up to the roof. 
And so for them to get up there, I mean, it's difficult to carry in this guy. He can't do anything for himself getting up there. But then they have to dig through the roof made of mud and sticks and some head tiles like Luke talks about. And can you imagine Jesus on the inside? He's teaching. It is packed. I mean, there are people packed inside, outside all the windows and doors looking in. And these people bring this guy. They can't get him in. So they go, and so they're digging through. So Jesus is teaching and all of a sudden dust starts falling down. Dirt, twigs, branches, maybe, and everybody's like, what's going on? And all of a sudden, a little beam of sunlight pops through, and before you know it, there's a hole. <laughs> and there's four people looking down through the hole. <laughs> and all of a sudden, there's this big bag-like thing being lowered, and here it's this paralyzed guy. So we go on. Verse 18, And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in. Look at that. They were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. That's what they wanted. They wanted to bring him to Jesus. They're obstacles, but they wanted to bring him to Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said, Man, be healed. Is that what your version says? If you're like, I don't know, that's why you need to follow along in your Bible. That isn't what it says. He says, Man, your sins are forgiven. This man had an obvious problem. He's paralyzed. I assume from the neck down. We don't know for sure. He's not mobile. He can't do anything for himself. He's got an obvious need. And we don't know for sure because it doesn't say, but his friends, these guys are bringing him to Jesus. Why are they bringing him? Probably because they wanted to see him healed. And so what are they expecting? Probably. For Jesus to reach out and touch him, maybe? Say the words? He's going to be healed? Great miracle? But Jesus says, your sins are forgiven you. This has caused some to think that perhaps the man's sickness was actually caused by sin in his life. Now, there are those who say all sickness is caused by sin. Well, all sickness is caused by sin in the sense of the presence of sin in this world. But our own personal sicknesses are not necessarily caused because we have sin in our life. Sometimes it's true. But because it's pointed out here, many think that perhaps his particular situation was caused by some sin in his life. But again, it's not what they're expecting, probably. But he says your sins are forgiving forgiven. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? This immediately gets the scribes and the Pharisees all bound up like this guy is blaspheming God. What's blasphemy? Well, blasphemy basically means someone claims to be God or to do something that only God can do, which if you claim to do something only God can do, you're basically claiming to be God. Or it can be, in other contexts, to curse or revile or insult the name of God. But it was so serious, there's a death penalty associated with it. And so these leaders are saying, he claims to do something only God can do. Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, they're not saying this out loud. They're thinking this. But Jesus knows exactly what's going on in their minds and what's going on in their hearts. When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiving you or rise and walk? 
Now, literally, they're both just as easy to say. But basically, what he's asking is, which is easier to say and have proven? Which is easier to say and have people believe you? It's easier to say your sins are forgiven because if they are or they aren't, you don't know, but nobody knows. Say, I said it, it's done. You know, you can't tell. But it's much harder, as far as proof, to say, rise and walk. Because if you don't rise and walk, <laughs> you're a liar. You, you don't have the power. You don't have the authority, which is, which is harder. It's, that's harder to do. But he goes on to say, but that you may know that the Son of Man, which is a title Jesus uses for himself because it wasn't politically charged, but it had some Old Testament connotation, a whole different study you can do sometime. But so that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home glorifying God. I would be glorifying God too. But not only him, verse 26, an amazement seized them all and they all glorified God and were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Amen. So it's interesting. The scribes, the Pharisees, they're thinking, oh, how can he do this? He's claiming to do something only God can do. He's blaspheming. And Jesus says, well, which is harder to do, whatever. And it says to show them that he did have the authority to forgive sins, he healed the guy. Now, keep in mind, in their day, they really did believe that most all sickness was caused by sin. And when they saw this guy that was paralyzed, they figured he was paralyzed because he was a bad sinner. And that he would never be healed unless God forgave his sins. So you see, there's, there's a test here, not just of Jesus, but of showing who he really is and the authority that he has. Because according to their own theology, the Pharisees and the scribes, if this man is healed, that's a sign that his sins have been forgiven. And so at the end of the story, the Pharisees and the scribes are left scratching their heads. It's like, how can this be? He should not have been healed. Because Jesus did and said something that only God can do. You see, his sta their statements were true. That only God can heal people. I mean, only God can forgive sins. And since Jesus says he can forgive sins, he's a blasphemer. You see, the first part's true, but their conclusion is wrong. The conclusion should be, this guy is healed, therefore his sins are forgiven. Jesus is somebody at least very special and empowered and used by God, if not God himself. But unfortunately, this is kind of the first story we have of the interaction of Jesus and these leaders. And from this point on, we see them continuing to go downhill because they continue to reject the things that are obviously before them of who Jesus is. And the fact that he has been sent and empowered by God. So his paralytics, he's got two needs. He needs a healing. That's what everybody saw. But you know what? Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. Can I tell you that that was the greatest need he had? You know, I don't care what we need in our lives. The thing we most need is forgiveness. Especially before Christ, before we know Christ. We need forgiveness so we can have a relationship with God. And here is a little clue as to why, for a different topic, why God doesn't always answer our prayers the way we want him to, the way we think he should. Because the spiritual always takes priority over the physical. The eternal always takes priority over the temporary. 
So there are times that God will allow things in our lives that plague us, that, that torment us, that cause us problems because he's trying to do something better. He's trying to do something deeper. He's got a, a, a better purpose in mind. And that's a whole another topic we've talked about before. We'll talk about it again. But as we go forward, I just want to keep you in, uh, I just want you to be aware that, you know, there are people all around us. People we live with, our family, our friends, our co-workers, those at school, those in our community, those our neighbors, those that we come across, and they all have needs just like we have needs. And there are the obvious needs, if there are obvious needs. But there are those needs that you don't see. The most important being that if they don't know Jesus, they need salvation. They need forgiveness of their sins. But sometimes there's other unobvious needs. Is that a word? Pain, hurt, despair, fear, all those kind of things. I want to spend the rest of our time together today not focusing on the Pharisees and scribes. I explained who they were. I don't even want to focus on the paralytic. But I want to focus on these friends that brought the paralytic to Jesus. And the challenge I want to be challenged with myself today and the challenge I want to leave with you is to be a friend who brings people to Jesus. Be a friend who brings people to Jesus. Now, I'm going to go through and give you, I think it's five different qualities of a friend who brings people to Jesus. But can I tell you that these are good qualities of just a friend? You want a really good friend? Find somebody like this. You want to be a really good friend? Be somebody like this. You want to evaluate the friends you have? Evaluate them according to this. But the main challenge is that you, that I, become a friend like this to bring people to Jesus. What are these qualifications? The first one is have compassion. Have compassion. Now, the word compassion is not used in this story. It's not used in this passage, but it's so obvious. Why else would these four guys, you know, when, when somebody talks about this story, they always talk about the friends of the paralytic, but I don't think the word friends is even used in there. I, I didn't go back to check, but it just talks about these people bringing, and, and we say four, but there may have been more, you know, it just says that there were four carrying him. There could have been a bigger crowd of friends. We, we don't know for sure, but it's so obvious. Why would they have brought this man, why would they have taken the time to go get him? Jesus is back in town. He's been traveling. He's already been to Capernaum. We mentioned that. Phenomenal things have been happening. Word spread, Jesus is back in town. He's over at whoever's house this is. Everybody's rushing to try to go see Jesus, especially if they have a need. But even if they don't, they want to see the show. What would be our first initial reaction? I want to go see. I want to go see. But that's not what these guys did. They probably said, I want to go see, but we've got that friend. And he needs what Jesus has to offer, and he can't get there by himself. So they didn't rush off to see Jesus. They put their friend's need before their own desire to go see Jesus, and maybe even their own needs. Maybe they had needs too, but it wasn't near as severe as this guy, this friend of theirs, this paralytic. But you know what? Maybe Jesus could touch, but he needs it worse. They had compassion. They cared about somebody else in need. As I mentioned last week, and I mentioned many times that this is a word that's used often of Jesus, that he was a man of compassion. He's a great example of compassion. 
In Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 36, a, a statement that summarizes Jesus' ministry at this time. It says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching, proclaiming the gospel, healing, because when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, for they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. What we see in Luke is that Jesus came for people in need. Jesus didn't come for the rich. I mean, he came for them too. The wealthy, the people in power. He, he, he reached out to them too, but he came primarily and reached out to, because they were most receptive, to the outcast, to the downtrodden, to the people in need, to the sick, to those spiritually sick, to those broken, to those hurting, to those alone, to those overlooked, to the dregs of society as they would be described, to those who had been abandoned and cast aside, to those who had been abused, the kind of people we usually avoid. We need to be people of compassion. So many people all around us with needs, both types, the obvious, the internal, the spiritual. But you know, sometimes, I can say this is true for me, confession time. Sometimes we get hung up on how people got into their messes. And if we know their story, it's like, well, you know what? They own, they're only reaping what they sowed. I mean, they're, the, the situation they're in, they got themselves into it. It's so obvious, at least now it is, looking back. I mean, their marriage is a mess. You can see why. Their finances are a mess. You can see why. They're homeless. If you know their story, you can see why. There's, there's so many times we get hung up with that and say, well, they probably deserve what they've got. And that may be true. But it never stopped Jesus from caring. And it shouldn't stop us from caring either. Now, we don't need to enable people. We don't need to get people out of their jams that just allow, in a way that allows them to go right back into it and perpetuate their sin and their, 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 their destructive lifestyles. But we need to get over that fact because I want to tell you something. How many of you have ever made a mess of something? I'll confess again, I have. How many of you have gotten what you deserved and you didn't like it? Yeah. But Jesus still loves us and had compassion on us and probably there were other people that did too. That's why Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. Put on then as God's chosen ones. You know, you're God's sons and daughters. You've been chosen. You've responded to his call. You have a relationship with him. Now this is what you need to become like. Put on then as God's chosen ones, compassionate hearts. And he lists some other things that go along with that kindness. Humility. <laughs> I think that's so key to recognize that I've made a mess too. They made a mess. Maybe they deserve it, but I'm in the, I could be in the same boat. Meekness and patience. Bear with one another. Forgive each other. And above all these things, put on love. Now, before I move on to the second quality, as I pointed out earlier, it's said here that these men, in verse 18, were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, bringing him to Jesus. Can I just give you a thought to think of? And this, this goes along with our compassion and such. You know, we all have friends. We all want friends. We have friends. We are friends to other people. Let me just give you something else to think about this week. Where are your friends taking you? These guys were wanting to take this friend to Jesus. Where are your friends taking you? That's an important question to ask. But maybe even more important is where are you taking your friends? 
Say, oh, I don't want anything bad for my friends. But no, that, that, that may be so. You don't want anything bad. You like your friends. You want what's best for them. But, but are you trying to take them to Jesus? It says they were seeking to bring him. To, they were looking for the best way. They were desiring. Where do you want to take your friends? Something to think about. Second thing, second characteristic. Second characteristic of being a friend who brings people to Jesus. Be willing to sacrifice. Be willing to sacrifice. In this story, we see these four men, again, probably wanting to go see Jesus themselves, but they put that aside. If they had heard early enough, maybe they could have gotten a front row seat. If not, maybe they could have gotten somewhere in the crowd, inside the house, or close enough they could actually see him and hear him. But no, now they're outside. They can't get in, probably can't even really hear very well, but they were willing to sacrifice that for their friend. They were willing to sacrifice that to bring their friend to Jesus It took time. It took effort. It was difficult. They had to carry him. Dead weight is heavy. Even if there is four of you, are four of you. Then they get there and they can't get him. They got to get him up on the roof. And even if there was a stair steps, a set of steps, not easy. Digging through the roof. And they're probably thinking, we're going to have to pay for this. It's going to cost them financially when it's all over with. they got to fix the thing or pay to have it fixed or something. Maybe it cost them a little bit in their reputation and embarrassment. It's like, oh, I don't want to do that. I don't put myself in front of people. I don't want to do something that other people are going to look at being bad or, or destructive or whatever. What are people going to think? It costs them. But they were willing to sacrifice. And again, we see Jesus as the best example. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, it says that you, talking to believers, he says, you were ransomed from your feudal ways, inherited from your forefathers. That sinful lifestyle that you lived and you just basically inherited, we all are born with it. You were ransomed from that, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Jesus sacrificed The ultimate sacrifice with his life, a horrific death to pay the price for our sins. And that's the root of us having a relationship with God because the Bible says that we are all sinners and all separated from God. And in that state, we will be eternally separated from God and from all that is good. You see, that's what makes hell, hell. You got the pictures in the Bible of the flames and all this other kind of stuff and the isolation and and that's all very, very true, whether it's literal, figurative. I don't really care. All I can tell you is if it's figurative, it's going to be a lot worse than what the picture paints. But I have no problem believing it's literal. But what makes hell, hell is that God, now God is everywhere, but I mean God's presence, His manifest presence and all that is good because God is the author, provider of all that is good. There is nothing there that is good. And the Bible says that in our condition, when we're born, we're born sinful and therefore we're separated from God. And that the wages, what we've earned from that sin is death. But that verse goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And to summarize the whole story of Jesus is that he came not just to be a good man, not just to be a good teacher, not just to be a good example, but he came to die. He lived the perfect life. He was God. He never sinned. But he died on the cross, a death he didn't deserve. And the Bible says he did that to pay the price for our sins. 
so we could put our trust in him and say, God, your word says Jesus died for me so I can have a relationship with you. I don't deserve it. I can't earn it. But Jesus paid the price, so I accept that. I repent of my sins. I'm sorry. My sins is what caused the problem in the first place. I repent. I don't want to live that way anymore. Please forgive me because of what Jesus did. And the Bible says that when we do that, that he does. He forgives us. We begin a new life with him. And if you are here today or you are online and you have not yet taken that step, you have not yet crossed over that line, given the the steering wheel over to somebody else, to God, I challenge you to do that today. At the end of the message, in a little while, I'm going to call my wife, Pastor Jan, and our elders to come forward, as we most often do. And the worship team is going to come back and lead us in a song. And just like we did last week, if you need Jesus, I want to invite you to come because we want to bring you to him. Pray with you to come to know him. But also, if you're like the paralytic, you've got some other kind of need, whether it's obvious or whether it's something on the inside, we want to pray with you about that. And even beyond that, maybe it's not you, but you know somebody else that you care about because of your compassion that has a need, either a physical, financial, or maybe it's just somebody you've got a burden for. They don't know Jesus, and you want us to pray with you for them. That will be available at the end of the message in just a little bit. So, you want to be a friend like that? You need to be willing to sacrifice. Jesus is the greatest example. And John tells us in 1 John 3.16, not John 3.16, but 1 John 3.16, by this we know love that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Jesus did it for us. We need to be willing to sacrifice for other people, mainly so they can come to know Jesus, but even in reaching out to them and meeting their needs and and helping them because we all need to help each other. This is one of the reasons we talk about missions so much. And I did at the beginning of the message is that there are so many people around the world that don't know Jesus, have never heard of Jesus. And maybe God won't call us to go, although he might call us to go. If he calls us to go, we need to be ready to go. But we emphasize we need to pray for missionaries and missions projects all around. That's why we support so many of them as a church. We need to support them financially. We need to be willing to go if God calls us. But can I tell you that God's called each and every one of us to go? Maybe not to the other side of the world, but into our world. We need to become one of these friends and we need to actively work toward bringing people to Jesus. We're going to be talking a lot more about that this year. From time to time, we'll take a little break from other things and talk about how can we share our faith. How can we, because because it's so intimidating sometimes and we, we get afraid and we say, I don't know enough. I haven't known Jesus long enough. None of those are qualifications you have to meet. It's helpful. If you've known him longer, it's helpful if you know some stuff. But we're going to take some time this year, some extended time, both on Sunday mornings and on Wednesday nights. We'll take a break from Luke for a while. We're going to talk about how Jesus can use us to reach out to other people so they can come to know him. So look forward to that. The third quality is to cooperate with others cooperate with it. Can you think about how difficult it would have been for one friend to bring this man to Jesus? It may not have even been possible, to be honest with you. However distance he had to be carried up the steps, dig through the... But you know what? They worked together. If there were more than four, I mean, four were only carrying him at a time, but if there were more, they could have taken turns. But even if there were four, it's a whole lot easier. It makes it possible. They worked together. The same way is true in ministry and doing what God calls us to do. 
It goes so much better. It's much more effective when everyone does their part. That's why there's so many exhortations in Scripture that we need to be there for each other, not just because of needs to comfort and strengthen in our own personal needs and our own personal crises and our own personal things, but that we need to encourage one another in ministry. We pray for each other. We pray with each other. We minister together. We've said so many times we can do so much more together as a church, as a family, as the body of Christ than each of us can do individually. We do that with missions. We do it with other things. That's why unity is so important. Another great topic is when Jesus was getting ready to be betrayed and he's praying for his people. The main thing he's praying for is let my disciples be in unity. And not just the disciples I have now, but the ones that are going to come down the road. May they be in unity. The concept of the body of Christ. We, as believers, are compared to a body because we're all different. We have different purposes. We have different gifts. We have different abilities. Just like your body, your finger does different things than your toes, and then your liver, than your kidney, than your heart, than your brain. But they all work together. In fact, when one part doesn't work as it should, it's called sickness. It debilitates. It brings about a handicap. Same thing's true in the body of Christ. We all work together to accomplish God's purposes in reaching people and bringing people to Jesus, but then helping each other and them to grow and become a better disciple and all the other things that God calls us to do. And we play different parts. Paul talks in 1 Corinthians 3, 6 about how one plants and other waters, God causes to grow. We all play different parts. We've mentioned this a little bit, but not much, but you're going to be hearing a lot more about it. But we're planning a big outreach in the spring. Right here on our property. This is the way the plans are right now. Right here on our property. After it stops being so cold and before it gets too hot. In the spring. Getting a tent. Just trying something a little old-fashioned, but getting a tent. Working with other churches that are willing to work with us in the community. Advertising, getting it all out and inviting people to come for a week of services every night, preaching the gospel. Not preaching about money. Not taking up offerings. I mean, not that we won't take an offering. If people want to give to help with the cost, that's fine. But the purpose isn't to raise money, and there's going to be no strong push for any kind of money, but just to preach Jesus. I want to encourage you even now to begin praying about that. Involved in that. Elder Lynn Wedderburn is kind of spearheading that whole thing. It was actually his vision, his burden at first. And so he's working on that. Be ready to help. Be ready to give toward it. Be praying for it. But don't wait till then. <laughs> I say, oh, we'll bring people to Jesus next spring. I'm good for the rest of this year. No. It's going to listen. But it's going to take all of us working together. And the other churches that are willing to join with us, it's going to take all of us working together to make it work and to see the best result. Fourth, characteristic. First, fourth quality, be persistent. Be persistent. Don't give up. It's going, it's, there's going to be obstacles along the way as you try to bring people to Jesus. Be persistent. And in this story, the, the, these friends, they're working together so it's not as hard as it could be, but they're blocked by the crowd. They can't get through the door. They can't get through the window. They had to go up to the roof. They just said, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give up. What can we do? They get to the house. What can we do? What can we... Hey, man, there's the stairwell. Nobody's on the roof. You can't hear through the roof. Let's go up there. You know, they were persistent. 
Jesus had previously healed this great multitude in Capernaum, but then he had to leave kind of abruptly. They wanted him to stay. He says, no, I've got other places to go. I've got to tell other people about God's kingdom and what God's getting ready to do. And maybe this man had missed an earlier opportunity. He obviously had. He wasn't there that night. Jesus healed hundreds of people. But his friends didn't want him to miss this chance. So they were persistent. You know what? Reaching out to other people is hard work. And there's times we may feel like giving up. Especially if it seems like there's little or no results. You know, these men could have gotten to the house, saw the crowd, said, you know what? We tried. There's no way. Let's give up. They could have tried to elbow through the crowd and it didn't work. Forget it. They could have said, hey, let's go up on the roof and then it was tough digging through. Let's just quit. No, they kept on keeping on. Can I tell you, don't stop praying. Don't stop working. Don't give up. Not just bringing people to Jesus, but the area of ministry you're involved in, whatever God's called you to do. It may seem like, man, nothing's happening. Nobody else seems to have the vision. Nobody else seems to have the passion. It's just not working. If God's called you to it, and he hasn't said it's time to let it go for whatever reason, don't give up. I didn't put it here, but Paul says in Galatians, he talks about that, that listen, don't give up when things get tough because if you keep on doing what you're supposed to do, you will reap a harvest eventually. You will. I've heard so many testimonies of people. So I've been praying. I had prayed for a family member for so long to come to Jesus, and it's just not happening. But I've heard so many testimonies. I prayed for my family member for 10 years. Last weekend, they came to Jesus. Let's take another little poll. Make sure you're awake. How many of you, and this may be a small group, I don't know. How many of you have prayed for a loved one for over five years and they finally came to Jesus? But it took five years. I see several hands. Anybody in here can recall, remember praying for a loved one for over 10 years and they finally came to Jesus? Several hands. How many of you have been praying for a loved one for 10 years and they haven't come to Jesus yet? Don't give up. God never gives up. Don't give up. Before I move on with the last one, I just want to say a special thanks to all of you who serve so faithfully here, even when it gets difficult, even when it seems like it's not having much of an effect, even when it seems like it's not making much difference, and sometimes you feel like giving up, but you say, God hasn't told me to give up yet, so I'm going to keep serving. Thank you for that. You are loved. You are appreciated. And it's because of people like you that we're able to do what we do do. The last quality is this. Act on your faith. Act on your faith. I had finished my sermon yesterday. I was going over it, tweaking it, and all that kind of stuff, and that wasn't this point. (laughs) Uh, The original point for this was have faith. But how do you have faith? Either you have faith or you don't. And to be honest with you, it isn't this thing of having faith, like it's something we can work up. There's some false teaching about faith that kind of makes it sound like work up your faith, and if you just work it up enough, you can get whatever you want. Forget that. You need to act on the faith you have. You need to act on the faith. Because here's the thing. If you don't have any faith in Jesus, you're not going to be concerned about bringing people to him or coming to him with your needs or anybody else's. But you have a certain amount of faith anyway. It may not be very much. I love that story of the man who brings his son to Jesus. And the son is demon-possessed and has caused all kinds of chaos in his life and his body and in their family. And he says, Jesus, would you heal him? Your disciples couldn't do it because Jesus had been away and he came back. And, and he says, if you believe, he says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I can relate. 
Jesus, I believe, but I don't have as much faith as I'd like, as I want, perhaps as I need, but Lord, I have faith. Act on your faith. In this story, it says that when Jesus saw their faith, notice he says when he saw their faith, not when he said he saw his faith. Whose faith? We don't know for sure. But it's more than one person. It could have been the man that was paralyzed plus one other person. It could have been the man that was paralyzed plus all the other guys that brought him. It could have been all the guys that brought him and not even the man that was paralyzed. It says he saw their faith. Their faith was manifested in what they did. And that's what I'm saying. Act on your faith. You may say, I don't have very much faith. I don't even know if I can share Jesus with somebody else and then come to know Jesus because I'm not confident. I don't know enough. all those things I said before. But act on the faith you have. Your faith is in Jesus, not in you. Or at least it should be. It should be. How much faith does it take? How much faith that these men have? Enough to go get their friend. Enough to not give up in face of the obstacles and enough to bring him to Jesus. Did they know for sure what was going to happen? No. They had a pretty good idea. If they could get him close to Jesus, Jesus has been healing people. But they didn't know. But they had enough to faith to believe that maybe it'll make a difference. You may not have as much faith as you wish you did, but act on the faith you do. You know Jesus makes a difference because he's made a difference in your life. And you know he can make a difference in somebody else's life. And you say, well, then my problem isn't my faith in Jesus. My problem is faith in my brother-in-law or whoever it is. I don't care what I tell him, what I do. He's never going to believe. Don't put it past God to do something supernatural. Salvation is supernatural anyway. Act on your faith in Jesus, not in the other person. I don't know if I've ever shared this story before. I don't even know if I've ever told my wife. But I remember one of the first people I ever tried to share Jesus with after I became a Christian. I became a Christian when I was 10. And I'm sure I did whatever, whatever. I was just growing and learning and stuff. But um, when I was in what they used to call junior high, now is middle school, God laid it on my heart to share Jesus with my friends. And his name was Greg. I prayed. I said, God, how? I don't know enough. I don't know how he's going to respond. What if he thinks I'm weird? which I had a lot of people think I was weird anyway. I was one of those nerdy guys, you know. I did well in school, never got in trouble and all that kind of stuff. I was a goody two-shoes or how other people would look at it. And I'll be honest with you, right now I'm kind of proud of that. I, I never wanted to do the wrong thing. But anyway, I didn't know, wasn't sure. I, You know what I did? I gave him a tract. I did. I said, Greg... And I can't remember the exact conversation. That was almost 50 years ago. Jesus has made a difference in my life, and I don't know how to explain it, but here's a little book. Would you read that? Let me know what you think. I don't remember when it was. I don't know if it was the next day, the day after that, or whatever. But I finally said something to him about, hey, Greg, did you read that booklet? He says, yeah, I read it. I understood. I prayed the prayer at the end. I'm like, Whoa! <laughs> We didn't say much in contact. I have no idea what he did with the beginning of his walk with Jesus. But you know what? I didn't have much faith at all. But I acted on the faith I did. If I can't explain it, at least this track can. You know? And we've got our friendship, and I said it made a difference in my life. Act on your faith. Do we have enough faith to point people to Jesus? So we wrap this up, you'll be saying, you know, you're making too big a deal of this. I mean, these guys just carried. I mean, I know it was work. I know they dug through the roof. It was, yeah, it was a sacrifice, but they just brought the man to Jesus. And that's exactly the point. 
They didn't save the man. They couldn't. Jesus did. It wasn't really all that complicated. They just brought him to Jesus. We make such a big deal out of other things, but not a big enough deal out of the actual just pointing people to Jesus through our words and our actions. And so I want to ask you today, will you be a good friend? Will you bring people to Jesus? How do I do that? Let me just give you a couple of practical steps. Number one, make friends. If you're one of those people, I don't have any friends. Come down and we will pray for you. Now, I say that kind of humorously, but maybe you feel like you don't have any friends. We all need friends. You need to find out why you don't have any friends. But make friends. And don't let them all be Christians. You say, but I don't want to be corrupted. I don't want whatever. And non-Christian friends are really wearing and can be difficult. And I understand all that. And, and we've got to be very, very concerned about where are our friends taking us, like I asked earlier. If we've got friends that are not Christians and they're taking us the wrong way, we either need to get stronger or maybe we need to cut back a little bit on that friendship and find some other friends. That's between you and God. But it is possible to be friends with non-Christians and then not bring you down. Amen? You're like, I don't know, that's not my experience. Or maybe we're all sitting here saying, I don't have very many non-Christian friends, and that's really kind of sad. I can say I don't have a whole lot because I interact with you guys all the time and all that, so I need to work on hard, work harder on having non-Christian friends. Make friends. Be a friend to the people in your family, to your neighbors, to the people you work with, to the people at school, to the people that are in your gym or some other organization or group that you're a part of. Be a friend and be this kind of friend. Invite your friends to a place where they can meet Jesus. That might be to the crusade next spring, but don't wait till then. If they're open to coming to church, invite them to church. If there's a specific sermon series, Bible study, women's group, men's group, whatever, that they seem to be more open to, invite them to that thing. Invite them to the men's breakfast this Thursday morning at 9.30. Come and have breakfast with the men of our church. Invite them to a place where they can meet Jesus. Introduce them to other friends who know Jesus. That's one of the things that's really cool about inviting people here for an event that's not necessarily a service. We're not ashamed of that, but when we have a game night, a men's breakfast or whatever, you bring them, you introduce them, they develop relationships with other people in the church who are also Christians. Now they've got several friends that know Jesus. Now we're cooperating. Now we're working together. We're all praying together for that guy. We're all praying together for that lady. But please don't ever hesitate to tell them about Jesus yourself. Don't say, I'll invite them, I'll do this, but I, I can't talk. Yes, you can. Peter says in 1 Peter 3.15, Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Notice he doesn't say here, always be prepared to quote the four spiritual laws. Always be prepared to give the exact scripture references and where it's found word for word, those are all great things. Make an effort to learn that kind of stuff. But he says, be prepared to give a reason for the hope you have. We can all do that. You have hope in Jesus. You've got something to tell them. You've got something to tell them. There are four types of people that were present that day and there's four types of people that possibly are present today. There were critics, Pharisees, scribes. 
Maybe they didn't come as critics, but that's what they came just to kind of check it out, be critic, whatever. But they ended up being critics. And there may be some of you that are here today, some of you online that you kind of came to check it out and you came with a negative attitude. I just tell you again, I'm glad you're here. I hope God's speaking to your hearts. God loves you. There's the curious. People just show up, Jesus is in town again. Let's go see what he's going to do. Maybe you're here today. You don't have a relationship with God, but you're curious. We've talked to you about that. We'd love to pray with you to have a relationship with God here in just a moment. There's those that are committed to Jesus. And how many say, that's me. I'm committed to Jesus. This is not a trick question. Me and a couple other people are committed to Jesus. You all say, Pastor, it's the end of the service. We're ready to be done. Okay, I understand that. I think there's a lot more people here that are committed to Jesus than raise their hands. That's a good thing. There are people like that in the crowd that day. But I want to encourage those of you who say, I'm committed to Jesus, to go beyond that, to say, not only am I committed to Jesus, but I'm committed to others. That's where these men fell. That's where these friends came. You know, I'm committed to Jesus. I want to see him for myself. I want to experience him for myself. But I got a friend. I've got a friend. I've got a friend that needs to get to Jesus. Be committed not only to Jesus, but to others. Let's all stand together. I'm going to invite my wife, Pastor Jan, to come. I'm going to invite our elders to come. Our worship team is going to begin to play and sing. And if you're here today, you say, I'm cool. Everything's cool between me and God. You know, I want to be used by Jesus. And I'm going to pray about that. And you just want to worship along. That's fine. But I pray that you interact with the message. Maybe God will lay on your heart somebody, you know, even now before we leave this place, somebody that Jesus says, I want to use you to reach out to them. And you might want to spend some time praying about that. But if you need anything else, if you need Jesus in your life, we're here to help you come to know him. If you need healing today, we've got anointing. We'll anoint you with oil if you'd like, or we won't if you don't want to, but we'll pray for you for healing. You got some kind of internal thing that nobody else knows about, nobody else can see, but you want prayer, we'll pray for you. But if you want prayer for anything, we are here. And I'll come back a little later to close the service in prayer. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I said earlier in my sermon, it's all about Jesus. Can we have that response again? It's all about Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank the Lord for the difference Jesus has made in our lives. Now let's bring people to Jesus. Father, thank you for this time that we've had together today. To just enjoy your presence together, to worship you experience your touch, whether it's something we actually felt or just know that's been there, Lord God, because you promised it. And I thank you that when we leave this place, you go with us. We don't leave you here. I thank you for what you've done in our hearts and our minds, the way you've encouraged us and you've challenged us. And I just pray that you'd help us as we leave this place to realize that we go out into our world, but that world is a place where you want to work and you want to work in and through us. So may we be open to that, looking for the opportunities, willing to sacrifice, to love people, to exercise our faith, even if it's just a little bit, Lord, to use it, and to touch other people for you. Father, we thank you and we praise you for it. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. God bless you. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 
or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org.